Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. Ave Maria. As we all know, Our Lady has many titles, and under each of these titles, there is only one refrain that we make, pray for us. We are here in the church, Our Lady, Mother of God. Mother of God, pray for us. But the first title that she has is that of Holy Mary, Saint Mary. Blessed Mary, because everything else depends on this. Each one of us is destined to be called saint, all of us. The title of saint is not restricted to just a few. For we who are here on the pilgrim journey to heaven, we are trying to earn that title so that we also one day will be a saint, holy. And because Our Lady is holy, and more than holy, holy, the most holy creature God has ever created, she has other titles added to this. But each of these other titles are only a reflection or a part of this central title, Holy Mary. She had to be holy because she was destined to be the mother of God. She had to be holy because she was to be the virgin of virgins. She had to be holy because being mother of God, she was also the Ark of the Covenant. And it is about the Ark of the Covenant that I wish to speak today. Ark of the Covenant, pray for us. What is the Ark of the Covenant. When you read the book of Exodus, God gave Moses some very clear instructions about making the Ark. And not just Exodus, but we also have it in Leviticus and Book of Numbers. The Ark was to be made from acacia wood. It's a very precious wood. It has the quality that it does not rot. It has the quality that insects do not attack it. It is an incorruptible wood. And Moses was instructed to make a box from this wood. He was given very specific dimensions and he was told that it had to be inlaid covered with gold on the inside as well as on the outside. And it also had to have rings and poles were put through the rings so that nobody would touch it because it was to be holy. It was to be put beneath the cherubim 
There were two great angels who, stand, who stood at each end with their wings over it, overshadowing it. But is that the reason the ark was holy? No. It was holy because of what it contained. Now, before we discuss what the ark contained, let's give a little history of it. We know that when the ark was taken to the Jordan, that the river opened and the priests carrying the ark were able to cross dry shod and the whole people as well. 600,000 men, not counting women and children. So the Jordan itself opened up so that people could pass over into the promised land. When they arrived in the promised land, they had enemies, in particular Jericho, the first city that they had to overcome. And God gave instructions, the priests were to carry the ark around the city seven times without saying a word, and the people would follow. They did this for seven days. On the seventh day, they gave a great cry, and the walls of Jericho collapsed. We have other stories where the people became overconfident, and they thought as long as they had the ark, they were safe. And so they went into battle ill-prepared. They didn't do their homework. They did not go to confession. They went out trusting that the ark would help them. It's a form of superstition. And God permitted them to be defeated and for the ark to be captured. And so the enemies took the ark into their own, into the temple of their god, Dagon, and they left the ark beneath the idol, Dagon. When they came in the morning, the idol was flat on its face before the ark. This happened for three days, and then a plague broke out, and they said, we better get rid of this ark, otherwise we're dead men. And so they put the ark on a cart and let the oxen just take the cart wherever it would. And the, cart, the oxen made straight back for Israel. The ark was eventually lost. In fact, in the the um, time of Nebuchadnezzar, it was taken. And in the book of Maccabees, we read, it, this is in the second chapter, um, verses 4 to 8, it was also in the writing that the prophet, having received an oracle, ordered that the tent and the ark should follow with him, that he went out into the mountain where Moses had got up and had seen the inheritance of God. And Jeremiah came and found a cave. And he brought there the tent and the ark and the altar of incense, and he sealed up the entrance. Some of those who followed him came up to mark the way, but could not find it. When Jeremiah learned of this, he rebuked them and declared, The place shall be unknown until God gathers his people together again, and shows his mercy. The ark was lost and will only be found again when God shows us his mercy. And then the Lord will disclose these things 
and the glory of the Lord and the cloud will appear as they were shown in the case of Moses and as Solomon asked when the place should be specially consecrated. Has the ark appeared? Well, if we go to the book of uh, the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, in the end of the 11th chapter, St. John describes heaven. And then he says, this is um, from verse 15 of the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant was seen within the temple. And there were flashes of lightning, loud noises, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Now, St. John says the temple in heaven was opened and the ark was seen. And even as the ark has been seen, all of these things are happening in nature. Nature itself is disturbed. Why? Because of the presence of the ark. So what would the next logical thing be for St. John to describe? Isn't it the ark? Because the ark had been hidden for something like 500 years before St. John wrote. So no Jew for 600 years had seen the ark of the covenant until John himself saw it. And so he describes the ark of the covenant. And a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child, and she cried out in pangs of birth, in anguish for delivery. And another portent appeared in the heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail swept down the third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, that he might devour the child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which to be nourished for 1,260 days. St. John describes for us the Ark of the Covenant. It is a woman. A woman who is decorated with nature itself. Her garments, the sun. Under her feet, the moon. Her crown, stars. So she is greater than creation itself. And don't be surprised we also are destined to shine like the sun and the stars in our Father's kingdom, are we not? Isn't that what our Lord promised us? If we are virtuous, we will shine in heaven. So we shouldn't be surprised that this woman shines so brightly. But what else do we know about her? That she is with child, and she's going to bear a very special child, the child who is destined to rule the nations with an iron rod. 
Who is this child? Who is the child? Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the only one who is destined to rule the whole world. No one else. If, therefore, the child in her womb is our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the mother? The Virgin Mary. That's right, the Virgin Mary. And if she is his mother, and he is God, isn't it perfectly logical that she is mother of God? If he is God and she is his mother, she must be mother of a person who is God. We're not saying that she gave God his divine nature. We're not saying that. We're saying that the child in her womb, the child she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, is God. And that she gave to this person a human nature. Those of you who are mothers, you're not the mother of a nature, you're a mother of a person who has a human nature. Isn't that so? So you can say, this person is my son and this one is not. This person is my daughter and this one is not. And that's what Our Lady does. She can say, this person, who is also God, is my son. So, we rightly call her Mother of God. But let us go even deeper into the mystery. Moses was instructed to build the Ark of the Covenant. In the letter to the Hebrews, we read, chapter 8, verse 5, this they serve a copy, the, the author is speaking about the Jews, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. So the temple of Solomon and all the paraphernalia there were only a copy of what is in heaven. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. But, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry which is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And see that you make them this is what the God is saying to Moses in Exodus 25. See that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. So Moses on the mount saw the heavenly sanctuary with all of its glory, and the Lord said to him, I want you to make an earthly sanctuary like this which you have seen. And so Moses did exactly that, with the Ark of the Covenant and the Altar of Incense and the Golden Table and the candle, candelabras and, and so on. He made all of these things. But they were created out of material. The things in heaven are spiritual. 
the material things perish. The spiritual things last forever. And so the ark, the box that Moses made, was but a copy of what he saw. And what did he see but exactly what John, the apostle, describes in the apocalypse. He saw this woman. And so the wood, which is indestructible, represents her immaculate conception. She was not corrupted by sin. The gold represents all of the virtues with which God endowed her, with which God covered her. Her purity, her faith, her holiness, the gift of hope, of charity, compassion, all of these. She excelled. But how is she the Ark of the Covenant? Well, again, we can find out what is in the Ark in many ways. We can read, for instance, Hebrews, and Hebrews is a beautiful letter which I encourage you to read because so many mysteries of our faith are contained there. In the ninth chapter, we read, Behind the second curtain stood a tent called the Holy of Holies. So there was the, the temple, there was the court of the priests, around that was the court of the men and the court of the women and then the court of the Gentiles. But in the inside, in the sanctuary itself, was the temple proper, and inside the temple there was another sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, which nobody except the high priest entered once a year. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant. So we, we read, behind the second curtain stood a tent called the Holy of Holies, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, which contained a golden urn, hold in the manor, an Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 3 to 5. So in the Ark of the Covenant were three things. There was the urn, and in the urn, the urn was made of gold. Inside of it was the manna. The manna was the bread that fell from heaven and fed the Israelites, the whole nation, for 40 years. Also, inside was Aaron's rod. When God, when the Israelites wanted to know, who was to be the high priest? God said to them, said to Moses, tell the heads of the houses to bring their shepherd's staff and to leave it in the tent of meeting. And so the, the, the leaders brought their staffs, dead wood, and left it there. In the morning, one of them was found to have budded and it had almonds on it fruit. And that staff was Aaron's. And so Aaron became the high priest. Aaron, the brother of Moses, became the high priest, chosen by God. And from him descended all the high priests of Israel. 
So when he died, the staff also was placed in the ark. In other words, the authority of the high priest. And the third thing were the stones, the tables of the covenant, the stones on which the Ten Commandments were written. That also was in the ark. But the manna, the stone tablets, and Aaron's staff were only signs of something much greater. They were signs of Christ. Because if we start off with the manna, our Lord said, John, John chapter 6, I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. It is my father, not Moses, who gives you the true bread. The bread I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. He who eats this bread will live forever. Your fathers ate the manna and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So Christ then is saying he is greater than the manna. Agreed? Okay, so the manna in the gold urn in the wooden box is only a sign of Christ in the womb of his mother. The manna in the wooden box, the Ark of the Covenant, is only a sign of Christ in the womb of his blessed mother, the true Ark of the Covenant. The second, Aaron's staff. Aaron was the high priest. His father was Jacob. His grandfather was Isaac. His great-grandfather was Abraham. Agreed? Abraham came back from the battle of the kings. He had won a victory. And on the way, he met a mysterious man called Melchizedek. Abraham offered to Melchizedek tithes, and in so doing, showed he, Abraham, was inferior to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the high priest, the priest of God. And Melchizedek accepted the tribute from Abraham, blessed him, and offered the sacrifice of bread and wine. In this way, Melchizedek showed he was a priest. As St. Paul, or whoever wrote the letter to the Hebrews, says, it is known that the blessing is always given by the superior to the inferior. Therefore, Melchizedek is superior to Abraham. Now, if Melchizedek is superior to Abraham, and we know Abraham is superior to Isaac, his father, his son, and Isaac is superior to, we can see that Aaron is down there. 
and therefore Melchizedek is the greater, and the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to the priesthood of Aaron. But we know what the Lord swore, that the Lord swore an oath. You are my son. Today I have become your father. You have a priesthood of Melchizedek, lasting forever. So then Christ, who, whose priesthood is eternal, just as Melchizedek's was, in the womb of his mother, is superior to Aaron's rod in the wooden box. So again, we see another way in which the child in the womb of the virgin is truly the gift of God to us, God himself. The third, which is perhaps the easiest, the stone tablets written on stone, the Ten Commandments. But we know that these words of God, which we are to obey, are but dead words written on stone. What about the living word? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And he dwelt among us. So we have, the, in the beginning, the Word, and the Word was with God, two of them. And the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, he took, where did he take his flesh from? But from the womb of the Virgin. And in taking flesh from the womb of the virgin, he could call the virgin mama, mother, mom, or whatever other word we use to describe the woman who carried us in her womb for nine months. He could call her exactly the same. He who is God. And so rightly then does the church rejoice and appeal to Our Lady under this wonderful title, Ark of the Covenant. And just as Joshua carried the Ark around Jericho and the walls fell down, so we also, under the mantle of of the Holy Virgin can overcome every difficulty in our life, every sin, every temptation, every sorrow, every grief, because she is a sure protection. She is a sure protection in our time of need. We heard how the dragon stood before the woman, preparing to devour her son. But the Lord had said about the woman that he would put enmity between 
Huh? And the serpent, the dragon. And that the dragon would strike and bruise the heel of her son, but that she would crush the head of the serpent. And if we think about it, what is a dragon? Isn't it like a very large lizard? Cut off his legs, what do you have? A serpent. The Lord has removed his legs. He can only crawl on his stomach. And because he's crawling on his stomach, we also are destined to crush his head. Who said that? St. Paul in the letter to the Romans. He says, don't you know that you also are destined to crush the head of the serpent? Yes, we are. But we cannot do it by our own efforts. We cannot do it by ourselves. St. Maximilian tells us we live in an age where not the brightest, the wisest, the strongest man is able to prevail against our ancient enemy. The crushing of his head has been reserved to the Immaculate alone. And therefore, if we associate ourselves with her, if, like Joshua, we carry her on our shoulders, we will surely crush the head of the serpent who lies in wait for us each day and every day, at every single moment. We are not afraid of him because God has handed over the serpent to the heel of the woman to be crushed. What we need is faith. What we need is patience. What we need is prayer and all the other virtues that Our Lady has and is so willing to offer to us. And these virtues we will always find described for us in the litany. Isn't she the cause of our joy? Isn't she for us the gate of heaven? The morning star? Isn't she the health of us who are sick? Above all, isn't she the refuge of sinners? And that is to each and every one of us. She is our refuge. Let us then seek her protection as we say always, Ave Maria. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today.